Welcome back to the Frazzled Teacher. My name is Tommy Rinfro, and I'm excited to have you with us again this week as we look into crying in preschool. In a 2020 article by the Buffett Institute at the University of Nebraska titled Early Childhood Education Matters, the science says it does. Managing editor Matthew Hansen stated, 90%, that's a giant part of a child's brain that's formed by the time they blow out the candles on their sixth birthday. In the past half century, researchers have learned stunning things about how and how quickly the brain develops. Science has revolutionized how we view small children in learning, and experts have done decades-long studies on early childhood programs. They look at the toddler's experiences and early care and education and how it can alter the trajectory of their entire life. Not so long ago, we viewed young children as blank slates who didn't need to learn much before entering kindergarten. Now we know that stimulating brain growth long before kindergarten can have a massive impact on students' future education, their future earnings, and even their future health. Consider the Perry Preschool Project, a 1960s study that provided free preschool to a group of Michigan three and four-year-olds from low-income homes. Experts then studied those who got early education and those who didn't until the three and four-year-olds were middle-aged. The kids who received quality early childhood education were less likely to be enrolled in special ed classes, more likely to become good junior high students, and far more likely to graduate from high school. Fascinatingly, the gains seemingly made at age three and four continue right into adulthood. Four times as many Perry preschoolers as non-preschoolers ended up making a living wage. Triple the number of Perry preschoolers ended up owning their own home and twice as many avoided welfare. Knowing all this, it's easy to see why James Heckman, the famed Nobel-winning economist, views quality education in early childhood as a better investment than the stock market. Why? because we spend less down the road on social safety net programs, special education, and even prison cells, and because a well-educated young child tends to learn into a well-educated young adult and turns into a well-educated employee and tax-paying American. With this information and loads of data, why on earth would anyone push back against strengthening early childhood education in America? Today, we'll ask this question and many more as we discuss crying in preschool with Dr. Denise Honecker. We'll be back right after the break. Well, welcome back, Frazzled Teachers. I am really lucky and blessed to be sitting here with Dr. Denise Honecker from Indiana University East. Dr. Honecker, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join myself and the Frazzled Teachers today. What a pleasure. What a pleasure, Tommy. It's always great to talk with you. Um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to just share with other teachers and, some, and those who aren't teachers. I think it's a, a great opportunity. Well, to make this more authentic, I have a preschooler here who's going to be talking in the background of today's episode for us on teachers. So we're just going to keep this going. For those of you in early childhood education, that's what today's episode 
is all about. And I want to start with uh, getting to know Dr. Honecker a little bit in this first segment before we dive into the concepts of early childhood education. So my first question is, where'd you grow up and what was your you know, early childhood to K-12 experience like? Well, I, though I was born in New Jersey, I have to shout that out. I didn't live there long. I was, I really um, grew up in the, in Indiana in the, in the majority of my childhood was here in Indiana. Um, I had what I consider an, an ideal childhood, um, safe and full of play. And that will be a recurring theme through our conversation, I'm sure, um, because uh, for me, play and childhood should be synonymous. Um, regarding my K-12 experience, um, because I will say I'm 55 years old, um, things were a little different when I was in kindergarten. Um, and I remember playing Old Maid card, the card game Old Maid. And we played with Tinker Toys and we did a lot of, we did literacy learning, um, but it was not expected that we would be reading printed text. So that's how it started, very play-based. Um, and then, then my, my, I would say my K-12 experience was overall pretty po uh, positive experience. Um, but some of that has to do with my personality fitting into how the school system works. Um, so yeah, I had teachers who did in, invest in me and for which I'm very, very grateful. Um, so my K-12 experience was a positive one because I really um, love learning um, and I had teachers who invested in me. And I think that's a, a common thread here between guests on the podcast. There's a, the the empathy and the investment of a teacher in a life that not only um, helps promote X's and O's, but also promotes citizenship and lifelong learning and positivity to those outside of who we are as individuals. And because teachers make such an impact on us, I like to ask every single guest on here, what teacher made the biggest impact on your life and how so? I, I have to tell you, Tommy, I'm really grateful for that uh, question because I think teachers in general do make an impact um, and it could be a positive impact. We, can, we also have memories of things that weren't so positive. Um, so keeping that in mind, I, I share with my own pre-service teachers that we have a choice in how we, we are remembered. Um, so I think that's a, the power of the teacher in that. And, and so for me personally, one of those I, I've had, as I alluded to several teachers who had a, a great positive impact in my life. Um, my kindergarten teacher was one of those because I remember um, I have a twin sister, which is pretty fun. Um, and we, we, between in kindergarten, we were together and that felt really great. Um, and she helped us feel a sense of belonging and, um, and being together. Um, and, and then I'm going to skip all the way to high school because one of those that had the highest uh, impact on me, biggest impact on me was my high school choir teacher. Um, and the biggest part of that was the relationships that she built. She worked diligently, uh, I believe, in building relationships. And I believe that that's one of the most powerful uh, tools in our toolbox as educators is, is to build those relationships. She, I'm a first-generation college attender, um, so she helped me navigate that. 
she helped me understand that and believe in me. And uh, that really was a life changer uh, for both me and, and my sister and, and the family and our family in general. So for, for her to invest in me, it was much more about more than just the music. It was much more than the academics. Uh, it was investing in me as a person, seeing me, really seeing me, um, understanding the strengths that I had and supporting me in that, and also understanding that there were some things that I didn't know and how could she support me in understanding it better. Well, I love that you have a kindergarten teacher and a high school teacher as big impacts because all across the board in PK-20 education, those that are listening and in adult learning education around the world, um, teachers make impacts at every stage of our life. And at some point when we have, I guess, the calling to be a teacher, really, and most days it's it's way more than a job description. It is a calling to impact other lives. And my question next is, when did you decide you wanted to make a similar impact as your kindergarten and your high school teacher, choir teacher? I will share with you and the audience that my journey to education was, uh, I would consider it a winding path. It was not a straight shot. <laughs> I, though in, in reflecting back, I have been a teacher as far as supporting my peers and learning um, all the way through school. I remember in, in high school, um, those, the, those, there were a few of us who just, that was a natural thing. Once, once we gained the concept, uh, we were more than willing and, and found great joy in helping others and doing that. Um, and I tutored in high school and that kind of thing. Um, I was actually going to be in music education and, and took, took a, a route, a different route and ended up doing lots of other things before I um, landed in early childhood education. So that's how I started was in early childhood education. And uh, my passion is still there. Uh, I worked in, and as a director and owner and, and teacher in preschools and daycares uh, before then working in elementary education. And so, so now I, I do a little of both. Um, but it, so I was well, um, you know, more toward 30 by the time I decided that that uh, that education was was the route that I was going to take, though, like I said, in looking back at my life, I can I think I was a teacher from the beginning because it was a natural thing for me to break break skills down and help my neighbor. <laughs> and we find who we are as nurturers as well as we go into teaching. You know, we have skills. That's what I'd like the community at large to understand. And one of the goals of this podcast is to put light on the things that teachers can do, the, the knowledge and intelligence that teachers have, because a lot of people just think that teachers live in this box and they just teach content out of a book and the answer's in the back and don't copy, just listen to me. And we try to break down that stereotype all the time. In particular, there's also a stereotype for early childhood education that we're hopefully going to put light on today and maybe shift the narrative just a little bit about the impact and importance of early childhood education. So as you journeyed into um, 
those preschools and direction of those preschools, what did you discover and what continues to be your favorite aspect about early childhood education? Overall, one of my favorite aspects of early childhood education is the emphasis of looking at uh, considering the whole child. I am delighted to understand all I can about each little learner with whom I get to work. It is a privilege for me um, to work with learners. And whether they're five in preschool or now working with college age, it, it, I think overall, when you were talking about educators, it, those of us who are called to do it understand the privilege it is to walk beside a learner in their journey. Um, but regarding particularly early childhood education, my training really emphasized looking at the academics or the cognitive intellectual development, but also the language development, the social emotional development, the physical development, and seeing how all of that is connected, more that we learn about how children learn, um, how they develop, it, what it's not by accident. It doesn't just accidentally happen. It's just, it's so very connected. And, and when we're purposeful in, in really getting to know each child, starting with who they are and what they know, and just uh, um, allowing them to build and grow uh, with the support that, that they need in all of those areas. I can't consider, I can't think of anything that excites me more than to watch that happen. And uh, for each individual child, we know that that's different. And to celebrate that, it's, it's just my favorite thing. I think having a preschooler now and having a kindergartner who's graduating tonight, which is really a struggle for the Renfro household, um, <laughs> there's this, this blank canvas, right, that we have a responsibility in early childhood, that we help them paint their own picture as they develop into to learners. And that allows you for lots of creative and fond and humorous moments as an early childhood educator. So before we go to break, I always like to ask, um, ask folks at their different developmental levels, what's the fondest or funniest experience you've had in early childhood education? For all teachers, we're, we're full of stories, right? There's always a story that can, uh, so I have several, obviously, that I could share. Uh, one of them is as, as funny haha as it was insightful to me as to how we can sometimes assume things about children that aren't really, and they can surprise us. Um, when I was directing in a preschool at one point, um, I was wearing that many hats. So I was actually a classroom teacher at the same time that I was directing because it was a, a small preschool. And I got a phone call that was an urgent phone call for my role as director, but I was in the middle of a read aloud. So I had, a, I, mean, I didn't have an assistant there in the class at the time, um, though there was going to be an adult in the hallway, you know, for safety reasons, watching them. But I'm like, okay, I'm in the middle of this read aloud. What do I do? And I had a little boy say, oh, I, I'll finish. 
maybe it's four and I'm doing a read aloud and okay I thought well then we'll just let you watch the read the pictures or what um and I leave and and there's the other adult in the, in the hallway kind of watching them to make sure they're fine and sure enough there he goes reading the book um it was amazing to me and it was so exciting um and so I, I think one of the lessons I learned from that is to just be aware and allow them to do their thing. And, and it was just a wonderful memory. He's now a college graduate and, uh, and oh, so fun to remember, remember those. Um, and one of the other just funny, the funniest kinds of memories that, that I have are, is the messiness of learning, right? Where they can um, make messes. Uh, I remember, uh, many times finger painting and the, the fun that ended up, um, but the lessons that we learned uh, about just make that, I think overall we, we were reminded that learning can be messy um, in that, and we can enjoy and embrace that um, instead of making it all fit into a box. So it, not one particular funny, um, but just as an overall, um, the, the messes that were made in preschool remind me that, you know, go with the flow for sure. Um, and that, uh, that life itself even can be messy, that we can embrace it and know that the experiences that we have together are how we learn. And messes in preschool create opportunities for crying in preschool, both from teachers, paraprofessionals, and students. Uh, today, we're going to celebrate those messes. We're going to celebrate emotional victories and celebrate struggles and how they build us as people and the importance of how they build us at the developing age of early childhood education. Frazzled teachers, we're going to be back with Dr. Denise Honecker after the break, so stick around. Well, welcome back, Frazzled Teachers. It's so good to be sitting here with Dr. Denise Honecker. We learned a lot about where Dr. Honecker's from and her passion for early childhood education before the break. And at the beginning of this show, we looked at an article that discussed this number, 90%. That's a giant part of a child's brain that forms by the time they are six years old. 90%. That's our starting point as we enter this segment. And as we consider this basic question, why does quality early childhood education matter? Isn't it just crying in preschool? Dr. Honecker, you want to take those questions and run with them? I will certainly try. Um, I have to laugh a little bit because that I really appreciate that. Is it just crying in preschool? Um, there, there obviously is some crying in preschool, both from the children's perspective and the adult perspective. Um, but, but overall, it's it is so important to consider quality, the impact quality early childhood education has, um, not just on the children but on their families um, and our communities, um, which in fact is part of the, the design of our culture. Uh, it is a reflection of our culture as to how we uh, find children important and investing in children and their families as important 
Um, I'm also appreciative that you added quality in there because there's a wide variety of early childhood education programs. Um, and I'm really excited to know that, that currently there is such an emphasis on defining and developing quality early childhood education programs, um, not just talking about it, but there's a lot more funding available and um, it's becoming more a part of people's conversations because just as this, as you alluded to, research is, is definitely clear that early investment leads to long-term um, gains for everyone. Um, so with regards to uh, why does it matter? It, it matters because I'm, I'm hoping that our cultural goals continue to identify that our children matter um, and their well-being matters, um, that our families matter, um, and that overall um, investing in people in their, as a whole child, as I alluded to before, not just academically, but investing in them um, as citizens of our communities. Um, and for those little ones, their, their world, right, their citizenship is in their families and in their classrooms, and we can begin there. So um, when we have quality early childhood education that um, respects who they are and is developmentally appropriate for them and allows their cultures to be celebrated, also their uniqueness um, to be celebrated, um, then it, it leads to, to uh, I, I would say it leads to a joyful, happy world. And I know that seems like a generalization, um, but I think I believe it to be true. So uh, for those who are not as familiar with what occurs then it, within an early childhood classroom, it might appear to be just a lot of play and a lot of wiping noses and those kinds of things. Um, but when you consider the, the uh, understanding of how we develop and how we learn and that those foundations are built in those early childhood classrooms, um, then I would continue to believe that some of the most uh, impactful learning occurs in those, in those centers, in those homes, not just schools, right, but in homes, wonderful early childhood centers that happen in homes, um, and in uh, more formal settings. And one of the things being a secondary educator that I, I'm so, I guess, envious about is that the narrative for play-based learning is at least, um, I guess, at least extra exercised by those people outside of the classroom. And I want you to just, I'm going off script here a little bit, take us into the importance of play in an in early childhood setting. Because what I know as a secondary educator is the importance of movement, the importance of motion that increases blood flow uh, to the brain, increases cognition. And the problem is in secondary education settings, um, and I think three years ago, the study said that 69% of students in a 712 classroom never leave a seat throughout the day except to go from bell to bell. 
And hopefully that is much different in early childhood. And what it, why is it important for play to be at the forefront of learning? I will share that there is, um, there has been a lot of, of conversation, a lot of, um, even a really some disagreement in the idea of play-based learning, even in early childhood. Um, there, it, there can be a push, uh, push, we call it the push, the great push down <laughs> for the absolutely. <laughs> paper, pencil, kind of seat work kind of things um, to be pushed down younger and younger. Um, I am grateful for the continued research that supports play-based learning and am an, have always been, will continue to be an advocate for that. Um, I have a great passion for continued studies in play for children and adults. And one of my favorite qu quotes, Brian Sutton Smith is, the opposite of play is not work, but the opposite of play is depression. And I, I think that's true for whether you're five, 55 or 105, I think there needs to be a balance. One of the, but you are right, Tommy, that, that in early childhood, it is uh, generally more acceptable to consider that play could be a part of the, the curriculum and the learning, right? At but, least it's there. At least it's a conversation. You know, you get to a, a ninth grade Algebra 1 class, and uh, <laughs> we still know that play and experiential learning increase co cognitive retention, but it doesn't happen as much as it needs to. So um, that's why I said I'm slightly envious that the, the public can actually perceive the importance of play a little bit more. And And I am spreading the news always that play not only should but can be included and affirmed for secondary ed teachers right get the blocks out get the legos out get the play-doh out and and continue um, continue with that um, i include that in my college classes and we do a lot of reflection on what does it mean you know to play how do you define that how does it make you feel and then how does that impact your thinking, right? Which part of the brain are we in when we're playing? Um, how can we use play uh, even through junior high and high school as a way of self-regulation um, so that we're, are, we're in a place in our brains where we're ready to learn? Um, but play and learning are synonymous in early childhood education. Uh, children learn so much through the kind of play that, in which they're engaged. Um, their language skills are, are increased and developed through conversations, um, through role playing, through the use of, of props for fantasy play, um, for as they build with blocks and the and the, the adults in the room support them with understanding um, terms like equal and and add and tall, taller comparison words, directional words, um, their, their physics, they're practicing physics as they're practicing building. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, as, the, as, one, as a science guy, how much science is involved in, in learning uh, through play. Uh, math skills are the patterns that they're doing. Um, it, it's the social emotional learning that's happening as they're taking risks by playing roles 
they have they work out some of their fears, uh, some of their dreams through role play and through fantasy play. Uh, they're there and take turns. You know, so many social emotional. And then the physical things, right? The the fine motor skills, the gross motor skills. The, it's amazing, and all of that can be accomplished by allowing children to engage in play. You know, and I think that 21st century skills are, are at play at every single um, center, collaboratively, creatively, communicatively. All of those things are happening. Um, and if we go back to that initial research, um, some re researchers at the uh, Harvard University Center for the Developing Child say that starting the moment you're born, a million neural connections form each second in all parts of the brain. That insanely rapid growth builds, and this is a quote from them, the foundation of who we will become as people. The growth of new connections slows rapidly before puberty, as I said, as we transition to secondary education, and it rewrites the connections, and that gets tougher as each year passes. So there's actually some science behind it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, and that's why it's much easier to learn a new language at seven than 77. So the research says it's more efficient, both biologically and economically long-term, to have strong, powerful, quality early childhood um, programs. Do you have any, I'm not going to say magic beans here, but do you have any suggestions maybe for how we can get this right better the first time instead of continually coming back to this? What's the heart of early childhood education that is important moving forward? I think if we can stay true to understanding and, and respecting who children are, uh, they are whole people, they are complete, uh, they're not fully developed for sure, but none of us are. We're all hopefully learning and growing and developing. I was going to say neither is an 18-year-old senior. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that I'm close. Learning, right? Um, but I think it's it starts with understanding them as whole people. Um, and that we get, again, the privilege. It is an honor to walk beside them and recognizing who they already are, um, not trying to make them into... Uh, you know, reflections of who we are all the time, um, enjoying that they have something to teach us as well as us being able to support them um, and, and understanding and respecting that those early years and allowing them time to do what naturally they need to be doing um, is important. Uh, acknowledging that that what some would argue that is lost, the innocence of childhood, um, is something to be honored and respected. And so when you think about what is developmentally appropriate for them, um, then you give them time to, to play. You give them time to rest. You give them time, you know, you support the things that are really healthy for them. Um, and I think then, that's, that's the right thing to do first. You know, those windows of opportunity are certainly windows. And it doesn't mean that we give up or we don't try to do to provide intervention later. Um, but doing it right the first time can matter greatly. 
in um, how effectively even uh, efforts later make um, the windows regarding language, just talking with them all the time. Uh, I love to ask my college students, when, when do children first learn to read? Um, and ask them what, at what age? And, um, and it's a trick kind of question because I we learn a broader definition of reading as to make meaning from symbols. And they learn that from the day they're born, right? <laughs> they watch their parents' faces and they read. We read faces, we read um, uh, body language, we read, you know, then we go to reading the Golden Arches McDonald's signs, right? Before we're reading text. And that matters. Those early things then matter. The number of words they hear, research, lots of research. The number of words they hear from birth to age three. That's a not very large window. Um, the, that's when those connections are made in their brain for understanding uh, vocabulary all throughout their lives. Now, and that in no way indicates that they're only going to know the words they hear from birth to age three, but it's what your brain's doing then. It's the kinds of connections that are, that are being made. Um, and that greatly impacts how they're going to read and write later when they're older, um, understanding how to self-regulate when they're young matters for their social development later. So um, getting it right the first time certainly doesn't matter. You know, and the crazy thing is all the research supports this, right? All the research supports not only is it going to benefit them in kindergarten to have strong um, early childhood uh, or preschool programs. It's not going to benefit them only in um, fourth and fifth grade as they have better language acquisition functions. It's going to benefit them when they're 40 and they have children. It's going to benefit them to keep jobs. The research says that strong quality early childhood education programs decrease the number of those incarcerated exactly. that are in that. And so not only is it beneficial for the individual, it's beneficial for us as a society, as you mentioned earlier. And so um, that communication in preschool, that um, those 21st century skills, the um, cognitive ability to process in collaborative settings, all of these work into what what we need as a society, what we need to function, who they need to be successful adults and citizens. And that leads to some different passions that researchers have like yourself. And so as we come to the, the end of this session today, what are your passions about helping families and teachers as they support all the great things in early childhood education? And I know I'm super excited about one of your um, passions right now that you're trying to do for the community and why spend more time on families in preschool and how are you doing that? I am completely and have, since I remember being in education, been passionate about supporting families and understanding that they are their children's first. And I use the word best as most effective um, teachers in their lives. Uh, it begins at home and continues at home. And so one of my passions is to support families in identifying what they already are doing. Um, identify that they really do a lot to uh, 
to support their children in their learning and growing. And that doesn't always look like what uh, they might think in, in learning, in, in supporting their children's learning. Um, I am all about reading with your children, all about it. Um, grateful to have published a couple of children's books here for about some local places to support family literacy. Um, really love the idea of, of safe places for children and adults to share books together and talk about it. Um, but beyond that, in addition to that, really it begins with relationships, spending time with children. And adults are good at that. Uh, they, when it rains, walk outside and look at the worms on the sidewalk and talk about them. That is supporting their, your child's education. Um, looking at the cereal box and, and looking at the shapes and talking about the letters and looking at billboards, all of those. Um, I'm, I'm hoping and will soon be developing a social media um, kind of campaign, I guess you could say about that called uh, living literacy where, because we live literacy every day. And, and so that is one of my biggest passions is to support families in understanding that the everyday simple ways that we live in literacy and can support you know, the, and then continue that. So teachers and, and families partnering, it's not us against them. It's not your responsibility or my responsibility. Um, I go back to the, the old adage, it takes a village, and we all have just the honor and privilege of being a part of so many villages of the children around us. Um, so partnering, um, continuing to support families and understanding um, that talking with children, uh, experiencing things and building healthy relationships really make a difference in your child's education. So today we've talked about a whole lot of things from the research that supports um, that early childhood education has lifelong implications to success for individuals, for communities, for families. We've discussed the importance of experiential play and um, talking with children, reading with children, and being present in the development of a child's life. And um, it's just been a wonderful pleasure to sit down with Dr. Honecker. I'm lucky to be able to sit down with her often, not as much as I would like in collaborating on these topics, but being in the same hallway. If you would like uh, more information about Dr. Honecker's new, um, new social media campaign, Living Literacy, those links will be in the show notes below as soon as they come out. So you can click below. And you can always find us at iue.edu backslash education. We are here to um, serve, support um, the community at large and develop teachers who have these kind of skills and this kind of empathy for what we do. Dr. Honecker, any closing statements before we get out of here today? Well, I just, I want to thank you, Tommy, for doing this podcast. Um, I, I'm so excited for the varied topics that you have. And, and, and I, for me, because I'm an, an early childhood educator, I just want to encourage anyone, everyone, to invest in the life of a little one, however it is that you can. Um, and if that means just engaging in conversation in the line at, at Walmart or Meyer or whatever, then do that, um, acknowledging that um, 
every investment counts. Well, as you can hear in the background, I'm about to do that right now with my four-year-old. Um, she's in her play kitchen right now in the toy room. And so we are going to uh, purchase some things from the grocery store in just a minute. A little bit of math, hopefully, with that as well. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Frazzled Teachers. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, impact the life of a little one. Um, be active, be present, parents, teachers, paras, stakeholders, community members. We're thankful for you in this frazzled teacher community. And uh, thank you to Dr. Honecker. And I will be back next week. So have a great week, frazzled teachers. Bye.